0: Hello, and welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast where we talk about myths, legends, and folk tales from India. I am your host, Narad Muni, and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present, and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, we are talking about Adi Shankar. Some of you have requested to hear about this scholar from the 8th century. Adi Shankar was a real historical character. But maybe the tales are a teeny bit exaggerated. And that includes a crocodile that was very picky about the profession of its victim. And today's episode also includes a literal out-of-body experience, like the one Doctor Strange might have had in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no denying that Adi Shankar was a big shot in the world of philosophy and a thought leader of his time. So much so that some folks tried to stamp his name on their own works, in a very curious case of reverse plagiarism. But all that happened later. Centuries after he eclipsed in popularity, the man he defeated in debate. But before we learn more about this great intellectual, I think... I should distinguish between a couple of terms in this story. Brahman and sanyasi. A sanyasi is someone who has retired, basically. As we'll soon find, the concept of fire, financial independence and retiring early, is something that originated not in blogs on the internet for millennials, but actually in 8th century India. A Brahmin is assigned that by birth. Adi Shankar was born a Brahmin. By the way, I won't call him just Adi or just Shankar, but his full name. Adi Shankar's parents, Shivaguru and Aryamba, were just a regular couple in a village in Kerala. Shivaguru held a 9-to-5 job, and his wife took care of the household. They were neither poor nor rich, but they were extremely pious and they lost no opportunity in giving donations to the poor and needy. The poor and needy saw this couple's house as a jolly good place for a meal and there would often be queues of people jostling for handouts. When Shiva Guru and Aryamba announced that they were going to be going away to nearby Trichur, there was a near rebellion outside the gates. The people waiting in line grumbled at having to go back to their 9-to-5 jobs instead of getting these free handouts. But hey, at least Shivaguru and Aryamba promised to return in a couple of days. The couple prayed to the gods at the temple in Trichur. They had been good, hadn't they? Could they have a child, please? More specifically, a boy? That should not surprise anyone. In the 8th century, it would have been considered going against the norms of society to pray for a girl child. Now, something very unusual happened that same night. Because this was about their dream, they did not realize that until they talked to each other the next morning. As they good morninged each other, they were both surprisingly cheerful. That was not normal. The usual atmosphere resembled a depressing Charles Dickens novel. The reason for their surprisingly good mood was their dream. In their dream, Shiva himself had appeared and promised them something. Something they wanted more than anything else in the world. A child. Actually, he had given them an option. He had said, Option A, they could have a hundred ordinary children. You know, the kind who at best got a B grade in their exams and these 100 children would live to be the average human life expectancy of 8th century India. Option B was that they could have a single extraordinary child, who would not live very long. Shiva Guru worried if there was some kind of a trick here. There are two sides to a bell curve. Did Shiva mean that the child would be extraordinarily bad? or extraordinarily good. But Shiva assured him that the child would be extraordinary in a positive way. Aryamba wanted to know that if she went with option B, how long the child would live. And in case Shiva had any doubts, she preemptively swore that she wasn't planning to take out a conveniently timed life insurance policy on the child. But Shiva assured her that he didn't have those doubts. The boy would live eight years. When Shivaguru and Aryamba compared notes, they concluded that yeah, eight years was the blink of an eye. But they considered the child a gift from Shiva. And if you get a gift from a god, you jolly well aren't going to refuse They both were convinced that what they had experienced wasn't just a dream. I mean, they had been dreaming, true. But the fact that Shiva himself had appeared to each of them with an identical question, that meant there was something more to it than random chance. Events soon proved them right. The couple had a boy. And they named him Adi Shankar. I think it was the knowledge that the boy had very few years to live that prompted the parents to accelerate everything in Adi Shankar's life. So, at the age of four, Adi Shankar could not only read and write, but he could also understand the Vedas, which are amongst the oldest Hindu scriptures. Had the Guinness Book of World Records existed in the time, Adi Shankar would have been on it, and he would have read it too, given his ability to quickly read through voluminous books. Because Adi Shankar had such a detailed knowledge of these scriptures, he had no trouble in being accepted in boarding school. Yes, these boarding school teachers usually had a strict entry requirement. But in Adi Shankar's case, they were easily met. Now, you might ask why Adi Shankar's parents were content to let their five-year-old boy go off to boarding school when they knew he had only three more years to live. Wouldn't it make sense to homeschool him? Ideally, yes. But in the 8th century, there was a strict monopoly on who could teach children and who could not, and rich parents could not teach their own children. The poor and destitute were a different story. No one cared how they were schooled. If Adi Shankar was a prodigy at reading and writing, he turned out to be even smarter at school. His school was teaching the meaning of the Vedas, which he already knew. So he discovered that technically he had been homeschooled after all. When things were going this well, no wonder that in just three short years, Adi Shankar graduated. And yes, he was eight years old at the time, which will certainly leave you wondering if death's blow was coming. It was indeed coming. But the first blow came not to Adi Shankar, but to his father. Adi Shankar was welcomed home, not with tears of joy. His mother hugged him as she wailed. Ostensibly, her tears were for her husband, who had just passed away. But in reality, she cried for her boy, who would also be rudely snatched away from her. It took a lot of assurance over many days and weeks from Adi Shankar before she was convinced that he wasn't going anywhere. And that was the moment he brought up that he wanted to go away. You mean go backpacking, see the world, that sort of thing, before you settle into a job for good? His mother asked, cautiously. Adi Shankar admitted, that that's not all that there was to it. He wanted to become a sannyasi. This was more than Aryamba could bear. It wasn't just that her boy wanted to retire. There's some sound reasoning behind becoming financially independent and retiring early. But a sannyasi is so much more than just not having a job. Sannyasis have overcome all worldly temptations. They have no material attachments. It would have been easier on Aryamba if Adi Shankar had just wanted to see the world. But to give up on everything? And for what? When he didn't even have long to live. She refused to give him permission. And Adi Shankar? accepted that quietly. Every day, he felt more and more trapped. He had to go away. But how could he? His friends tried to cheer him up. One of them suggested an elaborate plot. Scare your mom that your life is in danger, extract a promise from her about your future career, allow yourself to be rescued And Bob's your uncle. What could go wrong? Adi Shankar said he didn't have an uncle. Certainly not one who was willing to change his name to Bob. And in response to his friend's other question of what could go wrong? Plenty. A lot of things could go wrong. And he didn't want to scare his mother. As it turned out, She ended up being scared after all. Not surprising, given most days she was nervous. Adi Shankar would be turning nine soon. Or rather, not turning nine soon, according to Shiva. Every day, she dreaded that this was going to be the day that Adi Shankar died. And one day, as Aryamba was walking along the banks of a river she saw something that made her heart sink. She saw her boy swimming in the water and quickly catching up to him was a crocodile. Even as she screamed, the crocodile grabbed Adi Shankar's leg. The boy sensed the end and asked his mom for permission to become a sannyasi. Aryamba was distressed that they were discussing his career choice now In this situation? But she realized that it was his final wish. So she gave him permission to become a sannyasi and to renounce everything material. At that point, the crocodile promptly let go. Everyone was surprised, but I guess crocodiles in those days were really very picky about whom they eat. Brahmins, sure, were on the menu, but sannyasis, not so much. And if you're thinking that all this was an elaborate setup to get Aryamba's permission, dismiss the thought. It was clear, even to Aryamba, that this was the path forward for her son. Now that she retrospected on Shiva's words, she could see a different way of interpreting his words. Adi Shankar would not live long in their lifestyle. But as a sannyasi, he would live much longer. So Adi Shankar, not yet nine years old, retired and went off to see the world and to help the people in its far corners. This wasn't just some touristy backpacking trip. He picked up many followers along the way. He got involved in many debates with other philosophers. He convinced them of his line of thinking, which was that the wisdom of the world was in the Vedas and not all rituals were strictly necessary. That did not sit well with some other philosophers. One of them was Mandan Mishra. Adi Shankar, and Mandan Mishra's debate was a high-stakes one. The loser would have to give up his philosophy and switch to the other. But as this debate was about to start, Mandan Mishra's wife, Saraswati, who was also the judge, questioned Adi Shankar's eligibility. How could he know how to debate against the non sannyasi or ritualistic life? He had never experienced being a householder. He didn't have a wife or a family to care for. That was actually a very valid point, thought Adi Shankar. He requested a timeout and went off to a secluded cave. There, through a trick that he had divined from his studies, his soul left his body. I don't mean to say he died. His soul was just on sabbatical, a study tour. It found a king in faraway Bengal who had just then passed away. Adi Shankar's soul entered the king's body. To the king's subjects and family, it appeared as if the king had suddenly come back from the dead. Either that or their doctors were really incompetent at telling if a person was dead or alive. Adi Shankar took maximum advantage of the situation and learned everything there was to learn about being a householder, even a privileged householder, and that included taking care of an entire kingdom, not just his family, which consisted of several queens and princes and princesses. Adi Shankar was careful to make mental notes, because he his soul, couldn't bring back anything physical. If his family and subjects sensed a personality change in their dearly departed and recently reappeared king, they did not show it. When Adi Shankar had learned enough and when he felt that the blow would be easiest on his family and his subjects, his soul departed the king's body, leaving it lifeless. Adi Shankar was back in his body now. He appeared again before Mandan Mishra and his wife. And this time, he was fully prepared for the debate. He answered any qualification questions easily enough. And though Mandan Mishra's wife was officially the judge, her role was only ceremonial. Adi Shankar and Mandan Mishra had garlands of flowers around their necks. These flowers were sensitive to the debate topics. If anyone lost a point, a flower would wilt and fall off their garland. This is space-age technology, and it was found in 8th century India. Well, there are no prizes for guessing who won the debate. If Mandan Mishra had won, maybe I would have based this episode on him. Anyway, despite everything, for a couple of centuries after this, Mandan Mishra was the more popular philosopher amongst the two. And it was only later that Adi Shankar climbed past his debate rival on the medieval Indian philosopher's weekly billboard. Adi Shankar did not live much longer but passed on his teachings in every corner of the country. Over the course of his remaining life, he did a number of other things, like reversing the course of a river when it flooded some villages, helping to locate a famous idol that had somehow gotten misplaced, and convincing bandits to change their ways. A few more notes on the show. Besides Brahman and Sannyasi, there are many other terms that are used, and they all have their own nuances – Rishi, Muni, Sadhu, Brahman, and many others. I'll clarify the distinction between these. I do want to put a bit of a disclaimer here. These terms have varied over time, and they have also been used interchangeably. So the definitions you are about to hear are not strictly necessarily what you might find somewhere else. I've just tried to find the best fit. A Rishi is someone who studies the Vedas and other scriptures. A Muni's distinguishing feature is that they are free of emotions such as anger and animosity. That should rule out Durvas and Vishwamitra both of whom we have encountered before on this show. A sadhu performs some daily spiritual practices, which could be specific to one or more rituals. Sort of like specializing. A sannyasi, as we saw, is someone who has given up all material attachments. A brahman is part of the caste system. They traditionally were the scholars. But weren't required to be. They could hold other white-collar jobs. A grihast is a householder, someone who runs a family, takes care of electricity bills, files taxes at the end of the year, and so on. An acharya is someone who passes on knowledge, someone who teaches. A santh is a saint, by action and not by birth. I hope that clarifies the distinction between these terms. We'll end it here today. In the next episode, we'll do a story from the Panchatantra. It's about a bag of gold coins that gets misplaced. Again. And again. And again. And again. You get the picture. If there's one lesson that this comedy of errors teaches us, it is to not feed your gold coins to your goat. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at SFIPodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.